This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. chapter 5. We're continuing our series as we go verse by verse to the book of Galatians. If you've missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our website at whoecall.org or subscribe to our podcast online uh, as well. Uh, we've been walking through on Sunday mornings the idea of suffering in the sovereignty of God in a series of entitled Affliction. Uh, we've been taking a look at that this morning. We looked at chastisement. If you missed that message, you need to listen to it online. Find out what God does to his children when they rebel, when they decide to go their own way and do their own thing, uh, and how God uses chastisement to bring us back into a right relationship with him. Galatians chapter 5 uh, tonight. Uh, last week, we took a look at how uh, the Judaizers had uh, caused these people in the churches at Galatia to want to follow rules and regulations instead of just following Jesus. Um, we talked about how legalism is dangerous because it says, hey, if you follow these lists of rules that are not in the Bible, you will find God's favor, you will find God's blessing, or even worse, you'll find God's salvation. And salvation only comes through faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. It comes only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You couldn't follow enough rules in your life to be able to be saved and go to heaven. Uh, that's available to you only through Jesus Christ himself. But these, uh, these Christians in the, the book of Galatians had decided, well, we can follow Jesus, but maybe we need to keep the Jewish law as well. And Paul says, stop, no, Jesus Christ is enough. Following on the heels of that, that's the context of what we're talking, taking a look at tonight. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse number 7 is where we find ourselves. Paul's basically said up to this point, hey, whether you follow rules or you don't, that's not the important part. The important part is your heart for Jesus. And we took a look at last week how if we truly have a heart for Jesus, out of that will flow guidelines that we have set to keep us from falling into sin, keeping us from getting caught up into uh, things that would not please the Lord. Verse number seven, we find ourselves, let's just start in verse number one and read through verse number 12 tonight just to get the context of it. Uh, Galatians chapter five, verse number one, stand fast therefore in the liberty or with Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. In other words, if you're looking for a list of rules to follow, you don't need Jesus. Verse 3, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to do the whole law. If you want to follow the law, you're going to have to follow every single bit of it. Christ has become no effect to you who are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Verse 7 through 12 is where we're going to spend our time tonight. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I suffer yet persecution? Then is the offense of the cross cease. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. It's important to understand that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. 
The gospel is the best news one could ever possibly receive. You deserve to pay for your sins, but Jesus paid the price for you. You deserve to, to endure God's wrath in hell for all of eternity because of the sin that you've done, but Jesus took your wrath upon the cross and has paid your sin debt in full. That's the best news one could ever possibly get. Once we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, we confess our sin, we repent, and we say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I realize that you have paid the price for my sin, and I turn from my sin and accept you as Savior. The Bible says we're adopted into the family of God. We become a child of God at that point. Unfortunately for many Christians, this is where it stops. Well, I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm I'm thankful that I get to go to heaven now. Is that all I have to do? And I'll often tell people after they've accepted Christ as Savior, this is not the end, this is the beginning of the rest of your eternity. You see, the goal for every Christian is to pursue Jesus and to be more like him. For the rest of your life, I want you to know Jesus more and more each day, and I want you to be more like Jesus every single day. That's your job for the rest of your life that now that you've been adopted into God's family and you've become a son or a daughter of God, now it's your job to learn how to be an obedient son, obedient daughter for the rest of your life and live your life in a way that pleases your heavenly father. That's the goal of every Christian. Pursue Jesus and be more like him. Sometimes we get off track. Sometimes we go off the path that God has for us. We took a look at that this morning and we take a look at the chastisement of God. You know, oftentimes I'll meet Christians and I'll ask them, hey, if you died today, you're 100% sure you're on your way to heaven. And sometimes they'll say, I'm not really sure. We'll go through the gospel together. And they'll say, no, I've accepted Jesus as my savior. I'm just not walking with him anymore. And they've gotten off track somewhere along the way. I'm thankful that we can never lose our salvation. We can never be so disobedient that God would disown his own children, that God would kick us out of the family, that our salvation is secure in the person of Jesus Christ, not who we are or our own personal behavior. I'm thankful for that. Sometimes we get off track. Verse number seven, if you take a look at that, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? You see, when we get off track, it's usually a what or a who that's the cause of it. Paul says, you guys were doing so well. Who got you off track? If you read in the very beginning of the book of Galatians chapter one, Paul says, I am amazed that you have so soon departed from the truth that I gave to you. Hey, I was just with you guys and we were all on the same page that Jesus was the only way to heaven, that Jesus was the son of God, that Jesus was everything and you've already gone the opposite direction. In verse seven, he asks a really important question. You guys started off well. You were running really well. Who hindered you? And nine times out of 10, when I talk to a Christian who's gotten off track a little bit, it's generally a what or a who that got him off track. Well, uh, I was going to such and such church and the the pastor disappointed me. Someone in the church disappointed me. Uh, My parents hurt my feelings or a guy at work said something unkind and got me off track. I got hooked in with the wrong group of friends. Uh, I started hanging out with the wrong crowd. I dated a girl who was an unbeliever. I had a guy that I thought I could win to Christ, but he wasn't interested in Christ. He was only interested in me. And then they got off track. In this case, Paul says it's a who that got these people off track. But I've seen people get off track with a watch sometimes. Oh, I got this new job, pastor. Uh, God's given me this opportunity to to take this job in a, a city where I don't really know of any good churches, but I'm sure one will turn up. And then a year later, they 
gone chasing a career in a city that they get, couldn't find a good Bible preaching church and they've gotten off track. I know people before who have uh, given up uh, their day off on Sunday to work on Sunday because they get paid more. I've known people say, I have had people tell me to my face, Pastor, I make $2 more an hour if I work on Sundays. $2. In an eight-hour shift, that's $16. After taxes, you bring home about 12 bucks. Are you willing to sell out God for $12? I wouldn't be. Who hindered you? What hindered you? And I think this is important for us to pull over for just a second and take a look at the... Uh, the admonition that we saw in Hebrews 12 this morning, that we should lay aside every sin and every weight that does so easily beset us. Keep, keep your finger here. I want you to take a look. Hebrews chapter 12. Flip over there if you would really quick. Hebrews 12 in your Bible. We took a look at it this morning. We didn't have time to, to unpack it this morning, but it, this is a good thought. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. It's interesting that God puts this into two different categories. One of them is blatant sin. Sin, run from it. Get rid of it. It will destroy you. The Bible says the end is death. It's never gonna end well, I promise you that. But some of us are, are, are hyper aware of sin. We're on the lookout for sin. We're looking for anything that would cause us to get off track, and if it even smells like sin, we want to run from it. But the part that clouds our judgment a little bit is this weight that we have that besets us. Something I have on my back that's holding me down. Maybe it's the way that I spend my time. Maybe it's the things that I, I put in my head. Maybe it's a little bit too much time on social media. Maybe it's every single time my phone lights up, I've got to grab it to find out what's calling for my attention. Maybe it is a desire to be liked by people. Maybe it's a desire to fit in. Maybe it's uh, uh, something else. Maybe it's, hey, maybe it's fantasy football, right? I don't know. But is that holding you back from where you need to be in your relationship with God? See, we, we can sniff out sin pretty easily. The Bible's really clear on what is sin. The part that's maybe a little bit of a gray area for sometimes for us is the weight that besets us. Hey, I'm all for unwinding at the end of the day. Man, for me, I like to go home. I like to sit down in my man chair. It's a really big chair and put my feet up in the man chair and just relax. It's a good thing. But if I decide that I come home and, and nobody speaks to me while I'm in the man chair, this is a silence zone. Nobody's allowed to talk to me. And I just sit there and flip on my phone and ignore everyone else. Is that me just relaxing after a day or is that me using something else as an idol in my life? I don't know. I need to, to analyze that. Is that a weight that besets me? I need to check that. And so, again, sin, very easy to identify when it gets us off track, but sometimes there's weights that are holding us down. It causes us to not be able to run our race as fast as we should. Those things are a little bit more difficult to identify, but you're going to get us off track. Flip back to the book of Galatians, if you would. If you flip back even to Galatians chapter 3, we've already been here, but Galatians chapter 3, verse number 1, Paul lights them up. What does he say in verse number 1? Galatians 3, 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth and crucified among you. Who did it? Who got you off track? It's absolutely heartbreaking to see a new Christian get sucked away into false religion 
because somebody came along and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's, not the, that's not the real truth. Let me tell you the truth. And then they get sucked away into a false religion. It's heartbreaking to see a new Christian who hasn't had the opportunity to get grounded in their faith have somebody at work tell them, oh, you don't really have the Holy Spirit. We, we need to pray that you'll get the Holy Spirit. Come to my church, and we're gonna lay hands on you and pour oil on your head and really pray that you'll get the Holy Spirit. That church over there is not a Spirit-filled church. Oh, who told you that? Had somebody come one time, they're like, why do you guys call yourself a Baptist church? I said, well, Baptists historically have just been Bible-believing Christians who use the Bible as their sole authority for all matters of faith and practice. Uh, throughout all of church history from the, the book of Acts until now, there's been a group of people who never were a part of any apostate religion, were always part of Jesus' true church, and we stand with those people throughout all church history that have stood with the church that Jesus started. Uh, those were called Baptists. They were called Anabaptists. They were called different things before that. But we consider ourselves to be Bible-believing Christians that don't need any oversight from anyone else. We just need to stick with what the Bible says. That's why we call ourselves a Baptist. Okay. I heard Baptists don't believe in the Holy Spirit. What? Who, to who told you that? Well, I just heard that Baptists don't believe in the Holy Spirit. No, we believe all about the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. We believe the Holy Spirit lives in every single believer at the moment of salvation. We believe if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you're not saved. We believe that the Holy Spirit's job is to tell us about Jesus. We believe the Holy Spirit's job is to reprove the world of sin. We believe that the Holy Spirit's job is to pray for us when we don't even know what to pray for. We're all about the Holy Spirit. Oh, well, I heard Baptists don't speak in tongues. That you heard right, my friend. Um, I'm with you there. But to say we don't believe in the Holy Spirit, it's just, a, it's, it's untrue. Who told you that? And so we have to be, even as Christians, on guard that a who or a what doesn't get us off track. I don't want it to be say, said of you one day, he started off really good, but he, he faded out. He fizzled. And she was so faithful for so long, and she got sucked away. I don't want that to be said of you. The hardest thing as a pastor is to see people fall away from the faith and then get picked up by a false religion. Uh, there was a young lady early on in our church who had uh, come to Huikala. She'd, she'd been saved, uh, she, but she had never walked with God. We taught her what it meant to walk with God. We started discipling her. She got baptized here. And then she had a friend who says, oh, the Catholic churches are so much more pretty. They got this stained glass and each stained glass tells a story and they got this jewelry that you wear. Uh, and, and when you wear this jewelry, it makes you feel a real close connection to God. Uh, and, and, you know, we have the Virgin Mary who's gonna help us out and all this other stuff. And she got sucked away. And you look and you go, oh, she started so well. Who hindered you? Family member hindered her. So you and I are not immune to being sucked away to false doctrine to, or even just lack of enthusiasm on things of the gospel. And when that happens, we need to stop and say, hey, who or what's making me feel this way? We need to be careful with that. We have to guard against negative influences even by well-meaning Christians. I've had folks who have left our church because they said, you know, I have a friend who listens to your podcast online. It seems like every week you talk about the cross and every week you talk about hell. Yes. Is that a bad thing? Um, I want to tell people how they can know for sure they're on their way to hell. Well, he recommended a church up the street that um, doesn't preach a lot about sin and doesn't preach a lot about uh, hell and stuff like that. And it's more of a, I guess, happy church. And it's just like, ooh. This person might have been a well-meaning Christian, but they pointed someone to a lesser doctrine. Uh, 
a place where the truth, the whole counsel of God is not being preached. It's troubling as a pastor to see people come from other churches where they've been at for five, 10, 15 years. And I say, hey, if you died today, are you sure you're on your way to heaven? They go, ooh, not really sure. What church were you at before that they didn't give you the assurance of knowing for sure that heaven was your home? Maybe it's just a Christian who, who maybe even goes to our church who tells you, well, it's good that you have some level of, uh, of holiness, but you don't have to set the bar so high, you know? You can still be a good Christian and drink alcohol. You can still be a good Christian and go to, to clubs and dance and stuff like that. You don't have to do anything wrong, but you can be around those environments. You can still be a good Christian and date non-believers. You can still be a good Christian and go to, to keg parties. You can still be a good Christian, and, and you don't have to go that far. Maybe it's a well-meaning Christian who's just wrong. Maybe that's the person that hinders you. We have to be on guard against that. We have to guard against negative influences by false teachers. Hey, look, everything that calls itself Christian is not Christian. Every song that plays on the Christian radio is not a Christian song. Every book in a Christian bookstore is not a Christian book. Be careful with that. False teaching is so prevalent in our society. Uh, used to, back in the day, all you had to say was, don't watch TBN and people would be safe. But now people are like, oh, I saw this guy on YouTube was raising people from the dead in Africa. Oh, my soul. Turn it off. Don't ever go to YouTube ever again as long as you live because false teaching is so prevalent today. It's always interesting to me, these false prophets and false teachers, you can easily pick them out. First of all, what do they say about the gospel, the true gospel? What do they say about Jesus Christ, the real Jesus Christ? And what is most prominent to them? If it's money, signs, miracles, wonders, you can automatically mark them off as a false teacher every single time. Funny, these guys who have raised kids from the dead in Africa. It's funny, it always happens in Africa, right? Why don't we raise some kid from the dead in Seattle? That would be awesome. Oh, the problem with that is there's too many cell phones around and people would actually have it on video if it happened. And it didn't really happen. That's why you're able to tell these stories. But so many times people get enamored by false teachers. Oh, he was preaching to 30,000 people in a stadium in Kenya. That's great. He can preach to 50,000 people in a stadium in Los Angeles. Doesn't make him a true teacher of the word. Don't be enamored by this. Again, biblical fidelity is what we're looking for. We have to be on guard against false teachers. We have to line up every single thing according to the Bible. Does it pass the biblical test? If the answer to that is no, we're gonna put you in a category of being a false teacher. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that everybody out there is a false teacher or that we're the only church in town that has the truth. That's certainly not the case at all. We just need to be careful. We need to be on guard. And just because it says Christian doesn't mean that it's Christian. Next, we have to guard against negative influences by non-Christians. The school that, uh, that McKeeley goes to um, was not a Christian school. And so we taught her how to, to stand up for her faith and how to even share the gospel with other kids uh, and things like that. And uh, she said, one of my friends has a lot of questions about Christians and what we believe and stuff like that. And I told her a couple of weeks ago, I said, sweetheart, I don't ever want you to be ashamed of being a Christian. She goes, I'm not. I go, no, I know you're not now, but I don't want you to ever feel that way. Don't let a non-Christian tell you how you should feel or what the worth of your beliefs are because God's word is true. Jesus is real. Don't ever be afraid of that. Don't ever be ashamed of that. And that's not just a story for an 11-year-old girl in school. That's a story for every single one of us. I've known guys before who were Christians and say, guys, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I uh, worked on the car. 
and I watched some TV and took my family to a large group gathering in a public place and we sang songs. It's like, oh, you went to church. I wasn't going to say you went to church. Don't be ashamed of that. Hey, look, if some guy's going to tell me the filth that he watched, the garbage that he was involved in, I got no problem saying, hey, I went to church yesterday. Be, be proud of your faith in a Christian way. I know pride to sin, but be proud of it. Wear it well. Don't be ashamed. We got buttons in the back. Just say Jesus on it. I put one of those on my gym bag when I go to the gym every single day. Hey, I'm carrying that on the strap of my gym bag. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of being a Christian. I want people to know I'm a Christian. But I need to guard against negative influences by non-Christians. Paul says, hey, you started off well. Who hindered you? Could be well-meaning Christians. Could be carnal Christians. Could be false teachers. Could be non-Christians. I need to be aware of that. Next, we have to reject ungodliness and embrace godliness. Take a look at verse number seven again. You did run well who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Hey, you're walking away from the Bible. You're walking away from your faith and somebody caused you to do that. It wasn't the one that called you. Who called you? God called you. God called you his son. God called you his daughter. He doesn't want you to walk away from that. He doesn't want you to be ashamed of your faith. He doesn't want you to stumble into legalism or false religion. So we have to reject ungodliness and embrace godliness. Again, we have to get to the point where where being a Christian is part of our identity. It's just who I am. So many people, their Christianity is just one of the things that they do. Well, you know, my job is my identity. You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an accountant. That's what I do. That's my job. That's, my, that's who I am. And uh, I hang out with family, and I go to the gym, and I go to church, and I like to, to swim, and the weekend sometimes I like to paddleboard, and, and I just like to go hiking and, and stuff like that, and, and I like to take pictures of sunsets. That's what I do. And you see, who I am is defined by my vocation, and Jesus just becomes one of the many things that I do. And the problem with that thinking comes in the fact that if I get a really busy week at work, I don't get to go paddleboarding on the weekend or take pictures of sunsets, and I probably didn't get a chance to go to church either because that's just one of the things that I do. But if Jesus is the center of everything that I do, everything else comes off of that. You know why I love to take pictures? This is me, real, real talk. You know why I love, love to take pictures of nature? Because it's God's glory at, at work. Angel and I were in uh, Waikiki a couple of years ago, and... Um, it was getting about sunset. It was the, the middle of summer. Man, it was crazy packed. Everybody out on the sidewalks. And uh, the sun started going down there in Waikiki. And people just started coming out. I mean, droves. I mean, hundreds of people walking across the crosswalk to get to Waikiki Beach. And everybody had a camera phone up like this. Everybody had one. And then you have the really narcissistic people that were like, turned this way with their phone up like this. Like, look at me with the sunset. It's not enough to see the sunset. You want to see me with the sunset, right? Uh, and so... Uh, everybody just stopped. I mean, cars stopping in the road and pulling over in Waikiki. It was crazy. And everybody just stopped and watched the sun go down. And the second that it dipped into the water, the second that it went under, everybody just scattered like ants. It was the craziest thing in the world. And they just went on with their day. And I told my wife, everybody just stopped. Life stopped for a split second to witness the glory of God on display. And how often does that happen? Every 24 hours. Isn't that crazy? Like, God puts his glory on display for us, and we, we miss it sometimes because we're busy. You're just like, 
Waikiki, there's nowhere to park down there. Just like, just stop. Enjoy the glory of God. But when God just becomes one of the many things that you dabble in, then it's no longer the core of who you are. Next we see in this passage, sin, rebellion, disobedience, negativity, and false teaching are contagious and spread quickly. Verse number nine is a a verse that gets quoted a lot. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You know what that means? Sin is contagious. Apathy is contagious. Negativity is contagious. It spreads like wildfire. They say if you have a positive experience at a place of business, you'll usually tell one or two people. If you have a negative experience, they say you'll tell 10. Why is that? Because negativity spreads so much quicker. And Paul's saying here, hey, where where did this false teaching come from? It spread like wildfire. The last time I was with you guys, everything was good, and now everything's falling apart. What happened? A little leaven leavened the whole lump. And friend, this goes for our church. This goes for our city. This goes for our nation. This goes for, for everything. Just a small amount. That's all it takes and it spreads like wildfire. That's why for, for our church, we have a zero tolerance policy on gossip. I hear it, I'm gonna shut it down with the quickness. If I need to get involved, I will get involved with it immediately. It has to stop, immediately. Zero tolerance policy, you know why? Because a little bit of gossip turns into a lot of gossip. Hey, there's drama going on between two people. We're gonna sit down, we're gonna hash it out because we're not gonna allow disunity to spread in our church. It spreads too quickly. A false teaching comes out, uh-uh, we're gonna put the, the, the band hammer down on that. You're done, you're out. No, sir, not gonna happen. <laughs> we had a lady who came to our church several years ago who said, I like the, the, the church's plan for discipleship. Good, it's a biblical model. Uh, we think it's good too. And then she told some other ladies, hey, um, pastor's leaving out some stuff in the Bible about uh, the spiritual gifts and I'm gonna have a Bible study at my home to, uh, to share with you the rest of what the Holy Spirit can do. <laughs> no, ma'am. Uh, I found out about that, and I said, hey, if you really feel like that, w- that way, you need to go to a church that feels that way because we don't feel that way. Uh, well, I want to continue to come to your church, and I just want to share with you the things that I've learned. I, I'm well aware of what you know about the Bible, and we don't find that lining up with Scripture, so I'm going to lovingly ask you to not do that. Well, I just feel like God's leading me to share it. Good. Then I feel like God's leading you to share it elsewhere and not at our church. <gasps> Did you really say that? Absolutely. You know why? because it's my job to protect the unity of this church. And all it takes is a little bit of false teaching to cause it to spread. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so in this case here, Paul says, hey, this false teaching, this negativity, this legalism has spread so fast. And all it took was just a little bit. But you know what the awesome part about the idea of verse number nine is a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Leaven in the Bible, now please understand, leaven in the Bible generally talks about sin. Okay, nine times out of 10, when Levin's mentioned in the Bible, speaking of uh, in a, a metaphorical context, it's talking about sin. But I'm telling you this, positivity spreads quickly too. A good smile to somebody goes pretty far too. A kind word, that spreads pretty quickly too. And we should use our words, the Bible says, to build up, not to tear down. This application here though, he's talking about false teaching and sin, and that stuff spreads so quickly, it has to stop final thoughts tonight. First of all, we cannot excuse our sin or the sin of other people. Can't do it. 
We're pursuing Christ. We're pursuing holiness. I'm not going to allow any negative outside influences me to cause me to change my mind or to change my thinking about who I am. If, if I am in sin, I need to say I'm in sin. If there's a sin that's besetting me, I need to be able to say this sin is besetting me, not it's just a bad habit. And you call it what it is. And if it's sin, it's sin. Now, if it's a weight that's besetting me, maybe I need to let that go too. But I gotta be honest about my sin and just say, hey, it just is what it is. The Bible calls it sin. I'm just gonna call it sin. Next part, we need to be, we can't make excuses for the sin of other people either. Now, it's important to understand, I don't go around pointing everybody else's faults out and neither should you. But if somebody asks me, what do you think about X and it's a sin, I'm gonna tell you it's a sin. You ask, I'm just gonna tell you what the Bible says. Well, the Bible says don't judge. You really need to understand what that means and what it doesn't mean. The Bible says you're not the judge. God's word is the judge. And if God's word says it's wrong, it's wrong. I don't care what you have to say about it. The Bible says you're wrong. Well, you can't say that I'm wrong. I didn't say it. The Bible said it. And so when the Bible's clear, don't let, let's not muddy the water. Let's not cause confusion where the Bible's incredibly clear. Next, we cannot make provision for doctrinal deviation. I had a man ask me several years ago. Um, he said, well, you know what? Don't you believe that there's some parts of the Bible or some parts of our doctrine that we probably have wrong? And I said, like what? He goes, I don't know. Just, I mean, you can't be right on everything, can you? I said, well, I believe the Bible's right on everything. Yeah, but I mean, our interpretation of the Bible, we might not be right on everything. I said, okay, um, I could give you that, but tell me where we're wrong. And he says, well, I don't, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I said, if I found that there was something wrong in our interpretation of the Bible or our doctrine as a church, I would be the first person to change it. Because we can't afford to like, well, I know we're wrong. It's just kind of how we've always done it. I, I know we're wrong, but I mean, this is how our, our church has always been. That's how false religion starts. That's how cults start. That's the way it's always been. I know it's wrong, but this is just the way it's always been. We can't afford that. So there's no doctrinal deviation. We, we just believe what we believe about the Bible. Hey, somebody says, well, I don't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Then you're not a Christian. We're going through a discipleship with a, a couple on Wednesday nights. And I said, we talked about this past week. What do people say about Jesus? Well, I don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. If you don't believe that, you are not a Christian. I don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. If you do not believe the Bible is the Word of God, you are not a Christian. Well, I don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. If you don't believe that Jesus is the only Savior of mankind, you are not a Christian. Well, this guy's a really good guy. He just doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He might be a good guy, but he's not a Christian. And so we can't afford any type of doctrinal deviation. The, the, these folks at Galatia, oh, Jesus is the only way to heaven. We'll accept that. No, you, Jesus plus the Jewish law. Oh, okay, we'll, we'll just do that because it's just kind of, adding a little bit on top of, of Jesus. Jesus doesn't want anything added. Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. Final thought. Holiness and righteousness require intentionality and tenacity. You will never, mark this down, you will never be accidentally more holy in the future. I don't know what happened. I just woke up one day and I'm just a lot more like Jesus than I used to be. I don't know what happened. I just, just man, just accidentally happened. Man, I used to struggle with sin so much and man, I just, 
have neglected my Bible and slept in a lot and skipped a lot of church, and I'm just, I'm more holy than I've ever been in my entire life. It doesn't happen that way. You know what it requires? Intentionality. I have to check myself in the mirror on a regular basis and say, am I okay with God? I have to pray and ask God like the psalmist says, God, would you search me and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me? God, if there's something that's not right in my life, would you point it out to me so that I can make it right? Talking with a friend this past week and I was sharing with something that God revealed to me a week before our revival, something in my life that needed to change. And I said, I know I'm gonna tell you this and you're gonna laugh at me and think that it's silly. I said, but here's something God revealed to me was idolatry in my life and I had to confess it and repent and make it right. And he said, I don't think it's funny at all. He said, because God's working on me on something similar. He sure was me something that he was dealing with. And to anybody else, you look at that and go, oh my goodness, are you kidding? Is that the biggest problem that you have? Nope, it's the, the problem that I had that God said, this is idolatry and it needs to stop. And I'm, as a pastor, I'm just a regular guy who struggles with regular sin. And there's times where God points out to me in my life, hey, this needs to change and I have to call it what it is. I can't make excuses. We have to look in the mirror and say, God, is there something that I need to change? Is there an area in my life that needs to, to be fixed? And I can't just do that once. I can't just do that twice. I can't do it a couple times a year. I need to be doing that like at least several times a week. As I open the word every single morning, I ask God, God, would you speak to me through your word? Would you show me something today that I can use to be different, to be more like Jesus? And Oh man, when you pray prayers like that, God just hits you upside the head but it requires intentionality. I have to say, I'm gonna read the Bible every day. I'm gonna spend time in prayer every single day. I'm gonna try to share my faith with another person or live out my faith in a real tangible, practical way every day. Intentionality. It doesn't happen by accident. There's an idea that was uh, really popular when I was uh, probably in high school. Um, It was referred to as lifestyle evangelism. It was a new way to teach people uh, how to share their faith. And basically the idea was this. Live a distinctly Christian life Uh, and don't tell anybody. And eventually people will ask you what's different about you and then you'll have the opportunity to share your faith with them. It sounds great on the surface because A, you don't have to confront anybody, right? Very convenient. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and maybe somebody will see a difference in me. Second, the question is how long? Six months, six years before somebody asks you what's different about you? That's convenient but it's not very intentional. When I ask a coworker, hey, Rob, do you have a church you go to? That's intentional. It's also really awkward. Rob, you got a church you go to? No, man, I, I don't do church on the weekends or anything like that. Well, did you grow up going to church or anything like that? Oh, man, my parents forced me to go to Catholic school when I was a kid. Rob, have you ever thought about what happens when we die? Well, I mean... I hope I go to heaven. Man, I hope you go to heaven too, Rob. But if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go? Hey, we just took a conversation and intentionally turned it to the gospel. It doesn't happen by accident. It requires intentionality, living out our faith in a real practical way. Hey, when you're faced with sin this week, and you will be probably before the 24 hours is up, what are you gonna do? You should go with the flow? That's what gets us in a mess. We trend towards carnality. We trend towards our flesh. We trend away from righteousness and holiness. You wanna walk with Jesus? You wanna be right with him? It's gonna require a lot of work on your part and tenacity. But here's the good news. You don't have to do it on your own. 
the idea that you just have to do more, work harder, make a longer list of rules for yourself is the exact same thing that Paul is saying, don't do these things. Just get your heart right with God. And everything else works itself out. Put your heart on Jesus Christ. See him for what he is. Pursue him. Be like him every single day. Everything else will sort itself out. Most important thing in the world, though, is if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, there's never been a time, a date, a place in your life where you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Friend, you need to be saved. No man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It's the only way to get you, you get to heaven. If you're hoping that you get to heaven because you've been baptized or you've been a member of such and so church or anything like that, that's exactly what Paul's saying here. We'll never get you to heaven. This passage here, beginning of chapter five, he says, hey, if circumcision is so good, then you don't need Jesus. Hey, if your church attendance is so good, you don't need Jesus. But because church attendance doesn't get anybody to heaven and circumcision doesn't get anybody to heaven, you need Jesus. So if you're here tonight, you don't know for sure that heaven's your home. Please don't leave here tonight until you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your savior and that heaven is your home. For the rest of us, let's pursue Jesus this week, every single day, and strive to be more like him. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.